0: Hello! If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. What's going on, co-filers? I know it's been a while, but we are back and we have a killer story for you, no pun intended. Um, since the last time we have spoken about heinous things, uh, I've had my third child. Well, not me personally, but I have a I have a third son now. You were there for the process, sir. Yeah, I, I, all five seconds of it, and then. Uh, beautiful man. So let's see. That's that's three kids, all boys, all boys. So everything in my house is gonna be broken or shit on. Yeah, uh, and, I was the
1: oldest of three boys, and we destroyed that home and each other all too often.
0: Right, and that's uh, that's what I get to look forward to, but.
2: thought your happy price,
0: Priceline. Although I know it's been a while, uh, I've been working on this for a little bit. We've got a couple other uh, national news stories to cover that I'm sure you've already heard of, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail about and even have some current events thrown in. Um, let's see, the numbers continue to grow, so thank you guys very much for that. Some of you weirdos Grand keep... Some of you weirdos keep finding my personal Facebook, which is okay, but I'm not going to add you. You got to stick to the Profiling Pain Podcast Facebook.
1: I, however, add everybody. There you Uh, go. Unless they're bots, and there's many of those. Right,
0: and and bots are still numbers, so you know you you got to roll with the punches.
1: I I just want to get to the point where I'm maxed out on Facebook friends, and then I just don't have to deal with any of those notifications anymore. Oh,
0: but introductions. Uh, I am Chris Payne, so we got that out the way. I'm sure you guys know me by now, and to my left, as always, is the producer, the man that handles everything that I don't know how to do is...
1: Uh, I'm mean, Fuego from The Horror Show and In Tainment, and we obviously have a special guest this week That's as well, right. a new voice.
2: Hi, hello, my name is Rocio Onak, and I'm just here to conversate with um, all the events that have been occurring, so here I am. And there
0: That's you go. Stuff. So you guys remember episodes one, two, and four, I believe it was, where we had Mahalo Onak on. Well, this is definitely his better half. So- <laughs> as funny as he oh was right as as funny as he was this she's going to be a little bit more informative so she's going to add to the so, conversation and it won't she's be
1: to like you know drop some knowledge and right some sense into our weird and like this, perhaps. far
0: far less batman references so <laughs> we got that going for us he was
1: notorious for those in the few yeah. podcasts and, 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 right and the tangents and the tangents from the tangents and-
0: so but on today's episode we're going to cover the two shootings the mass shootings that happened in august um On top of that we're going to get into the story we have been promising you the alphabet killer now normally our stories i wouldn't say have a happy ending but we let you know how it gets resolved well spoiler alert this one has no resolution but it's a story that needs to be told nonetheless and then that will end season one for us we'll come back in november and we'll have the beginning of season two where we're gonna go ahead and uh tell you now we're gonna be working on ted bundy and i'm sure we're gonna get plenty of emails and plenty of comments and everybody else is gonna have something to add and uh, we're going to consider everything and try to mention everything we can. But like I say, every episode, there's definitely going to be something we leave out. There's going to be something we miss or something we over cover. Uh, so
1: get on our asses for the mistakes so we can try to be better. <laughs> in the right.
0: Way. But in the meantime, uh, for our first story, we're going to let uh, our guest start off. And Ooh. So what are we covering?
2: So we are covering the mass shooting um, that occurred in Dayton, Ohio. This was on August 4th, 2019 um, and this actually happened, um, what was it, a couple, out, 13 hours after the mass shooting in El Paso, which is, um, spoiler alert, the one that uh, Fuego is covering. So uh, the name of the shooter is uh, Connor Stevens Betts and um, basically what happened was
0: it's okay. You're covering somebody that had three first names, and that's usually a clue that they're going to do something messed up.
2: Yeah. So Big red flag,
1: man. Right away.
2: <laughs> so he was actually at a bar with um, his sister and a friend. And two hours before the attack, the gunman was seen at a bar, and uh, around m- midnight, he split from the two and was recorded leaving the bar at, run, uh, at around 1 a.m., Uh, Eyewitnesses reported that the man opened fire at the entrance of Ned Peters Bar in Oregon Historic District. Um, He was carrying a semi-automatic AM15 and um, he fired into the crowd, fatally shooting nine people and of the nine that passed, one was his actual sister who was there as well.
0: yeah reports say that he actually shot his sister first
2: yes yes wow so you got to
0: figure his parents uh in the same night lost their daughter and i believe he he doesn't even make it out of the bar right
2: no uh within 32 seconds of everything that was going on uh law enforcement's already had him shot him and he actually died at the scene as well um so uh And then a couple hours before he actually opened fire in Dayton, he liked a post in favor of gun control and several concerns of the El Paso shooting, including a tweet that called the El Paso shooter a terrorist and a white supremacist. So I thought that was um, pretty interesting.
1: So was there a possibility of he was teetering on the edge and then he got some inspiration to... Over from that's the scene. that's one of
0: the theories that we're floating around, but like you know, 32 seconds in, any yeah, answers they could have had was gone, right? Time, man. Right. I mean,
1: they must, and were they down, down the street donuts or something? Like, I don't know, man. But that's that's swift response. So. And it's the
0: age-old saying, "Violence begets violence." You know, and always. Yeah. It's, it's to, one of those yeah, things. It's
1: snowball going downhill. What about motivation for like aggravation with sister? Anything? Or yeah, perhaps mm-hmm. not.
0: No, not mm-hmm. not that I had read that. That was completely random. Um, one theory that I had read about actually was stating that maybe the friend and the sister kn- like knew or came across him pulling the gun out and were gonna try to stop him perhaps, and he just ba pow. So that's
1: a theory that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hence them being then like in the line of fire, mm-hmm. like you know the first ones to to be in the sights. sting. Craziness. Well. And, so uh, does
0: it say how many total injured or?
2: I believe it was, was it 10 that, um, including him? Yes. So that's 10, including the, of uh, the shooter, 27 injuries, um, 17 from gunfire. So yeah, there was a few injured and then 10, including himself that passed.
1: I oh, yeah, probably panic from people like practically trampling each other <laughs> trying to run out of right. the line of that mm-hmm. proverbial fire. So, dang. Yeah. In- intensive y'all. So should I, uh, Grab the bull by the proverbial horns, <laughs> being El Paso, Texas. So uh, yeah, uh, as uh, reported by the Associated Press, we had the uh, 21-year-old man who was charged with capital murder in the fatal shooting of 22 people. So obviously this was more than double the case that we were just discussing. And this was a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. He pleaded not guilty, uh, at least the, the previous Thursday, to this report during a brief initial hearing. Police have said uh, the suspect by the name of Patrick Crucius of Dallas confessed to the August 3rd mass shooting, and that he targeted Mexicans specifically, obviously, Mm -hmm. so this was a hate crime. Some two dozen people survived the attack with injuries, and two of them remained in the hospital. Obviously, we don't have, like, the most current information here, but at least there were two that were, as of this report, remaining hospitalized. Um... Yeah, the report
0: yeah. actually is as of yesterday.
1: Oh, okay. So this is pretty up to date, at least as far as the, the mm-hmm. recording of this here in the uh, the middle of October. But uh, yeah, Crucius walked into the courtroom uh, when this uh, this plea was made. He was wearing a dark suit, white shirt, glasses. He was sworn in, waived the reading of his indictment, and pleaded not guilty. The entire hearing lasted less than three minutes. So. Brief, swift, uh, all of that craziness. Wow. And he, he had confessed on site, or at least surrendered yeah. himself. From Peaceful what surrender. I saw in the yep. initial news report, because he, he was just out there after he got done doing everything. just mm-hmm. so hung around, for whatever reason. And, I mean, it, what is his mental shape? I would I would really speculate. but uh, that, So going on, around 80 members of the public crammed into the courtroom on the top floor of the El Paso County Courthouse to witness his first appearance handful what white tears as Crucius pronounced his plea, shocked, obviously, um, at you know, just the audacity. Among the crowd was a delegation from the Mexican consulate. Eight Mexican citizens were killed in the attack, and most of the victims had Hispanic class names. Among the dead was a German citizen who lived in... Uh, Cuidad, Juarez, Mexico. Uh, they look at the court to, yeah, with my, my pronunciation, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, to remain quiet and warm against first. So this is obviously going to be a media circus, this entire thing. because And of it's, it's going to continue danger, on. Because of the body count. And not just that. Because to of set, all the connections yeah. you were talking about in the pre-production meeting that we did.
0: Now, so. quick sad points to both stories uh, before you guys finish. Um, the Dayton, Ohio shooter, uh, as I me and were discussing earlier, Actually, he had a couple ex-girlfriends come forward that he was really abusive and that he had constantly actually talked about an act like this. And and every one of his – even his family were like, "Mm, we can kind of see it. You know, it, he he was showing definite signs, and I believe. Didn't anyone
1: it, make more of a like initiative to try to find this in help, or report the, something? I mean, maybe you just don't want to believe. Right. That that somebody you do probably care about could do such hideous acts. And I and I believe it was the Dayton one case. where
0: they actually when they when they checked his apartment, they found uh, trace amounts of cocaine and jacket pockets and all kinds of other things. So he yes. was obviously hopped up on something. Right. And then the saddest point, the saddest point of the El Paso shooting, I was reading about, was actually uh. It was two parents who ended up getting shot trying to cover their, I believe, two-month-old baby mm-hmm. during the shooting.
2: Dang. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. That's,
1: <laughs> that's important. Little additional bits of information. So, yeah, and, uh, I guess federal authorities are weighing capital murder, hate crime charges. Uh, Department of Justice has called the shooting an act of domestic terrorism, obviously, if you're doing right. that, that sort of targeting. 2,000 witnesses at the scene of the massacre. So almost everybody in the city, which only has around 700,000 people to begin with, they have that interconnected Mm -hmm. effect, and it's just really, really heartbreaking and stuff. So, um, yeah, first judge assigned to the case, uh, uh, recused herself because she knew one of the people killed in the attack. So that just shows how everybody practically is affected to some right. degree it's either mm-hmm. it's, and it's either someone you know directly or you know somebody who knows and that, someone directly that about. fact
0: alone is like pure dedication to the judicial system like they didn't even want to be you know I mean that's they knew that they couldn't make an impartial decision so that's
1: well, lead, lead prosecutor at a sister in the Walmart during these Jesus. times I mean huh. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing that happens in these small towns when there's when there, I mean I'm not saying all was pass, pass a small town, but when you have uh, incidents like this that happen in a small town, like recently I don't I, it's the Jodi Arias trial. I don't know if you guys heard about this, mm-hmm. but I recently her. no 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 recently though <laughs> Jodi Arias like, wait, because because of the process because of the prosecutor he recently got in trouble and he had I guess some some uh, allegations came up that he did something wrong during the case. She's actually getting a retrial because oh, wow. because of her uh, what are they called? Not arraignments, not indictments. What the hell is it called when you're able to kind of protest the courts? It's called something specific. Second jury? No, Uh, it's every every single criminal gets one. You get to file for it. I'm stupid. It doesn't matter anyway. No, it's called something else. But fuck it. Anyway, sure. So, but (laughs) there's a decent chance that Jody Arias might get a second trial.
1: Well, it makes sense, though, a little bit that, I mean, definitely in this case, if you have some sort of invested personal interest, right. you're not supposed to be a part of either side mm-hmm. of the process, whether it's defense or prosecution. Well,
0: the hardest part, at least with the Jody Ayers trial, is how the fuck are you going to hold a trial in Maricopa County? Like, you, you, you can throw a that's stone in any direction and hit somebody in the head that's heard about the trial. Yeah. You know? It's it's all out there. It's, it's, it's in the zeitgeist. I think everybody's aware of the trial by now, you know? So... There's a lot of that going on now my question is Rocio specifically give us a little bit of your background
2: Well, I um, studied human services for a few years and um, am more interested in like the um, the way people think the way that you know their their reaction to things and more like with the brain psychology so my interest is more in mental health so coming back to to these cases and like there obviously was something going on mentally that was wrong and that's what brought up my question earlier um outside of the podcast was What are the regulations for individuals who get firearms? Like, what is the policy? What does that process look like? Do they do some sort of mental health screening to see if they are able to carry? It
1: feels like it should be crucial, right? Exactly.
2: And come to find out, it's actually a really easy process, at least here in the state of Arizona. Right. And so that obviously needs to be revisited and changed because if it's that easy for someone to own a firearm without having to go through the process of are they mentally, mentally stable for that, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary.
1: Along well, with all the gun shows that Chris has worked, at, yeah, and, um, seriously, it's like I've the, worked the a lot of gun shows. The gray area shows. is ridiculous, in those weeks. It doesn't entail yeah. the same background. I
0: mean, I've even like encouraged people to go to my brother-in-law's gun store, which I stand by. You, you still yeah. should. I believe everybody should be able to protect themselves. But you're right; there is, and there should. I mean, there isn't, but there should be a little bit more. Extensive mm-hmm. of about, and that's what they're pushing for right now. I mean, yeah. like they're trying to ban the bump stocks, or I think they did ban the bump stocks. Uh, they're getting rid of the silencers. They're doing all that stuff. Um, but like, in I mean, in the state of Arizona, we have uh, Palo Verde, the nuclear power plant. Okay, yeah. And my sure. uncle wasn't cleared to work there because when he, you have to take an aptitude test to go work somewhere and turn a wrench, but you don't have to take an aptitude test to own a firearm. You know, and I feel like it's – and Arizona is very open carry. It is still the Wild Wild West. Come check out the Grand Canyon. But, (laughs) uh, you know, you can still open carry or conceal carry without a permit. Now, you can get a permit, but it doesn't matter in this state anymore. The the only reason people go get their uh, concealed weapons permit is because it's actually a faster way to get a gun. If you have your C – I believe it's called your CCW, your concealed Mm -hmm. carry weapons permit, you only have to show that at that point. And they're like, all right, yeah, just fill out your paperwork. We won't even send it into the ATF right now. We know that you're good. Here's your gun. It's an even faster process if you way have it. Too easy. Yeah, yes. and you can go get those now for like a seventy-five dollar class. Like it is a very, oh, my very. My dad
1: has one. My mom has one. Yeah. Well, your mom where, worked where, where for used, the police department, though. She she did for over thirty years and stuff. And I mean, and my dad is an avid outdoorsman and stuff, mm-hmm. I a mean, long time hunter. I I'm so for the right to bear arms, but. I don't think civilians need automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons. Something that right. like can just shoot a stream of death that quickly. Normal people don't need that shit. You know. Well, the yeah. argument,
0: the argument, and, and we try so hard every episode to not get into politics. We say we're not oh, a political podcast, <laughs> but we we always <laughs> hey, come back around. Hey,
1: I'm a, I'm, I'm a registered independent. A reason, well, we're so. we're opinionated
0: <laughs> as hell though. So. Yeah. Um, the argument, though, for the for the Second Amendment is that we should be able to bear arms against a a I mean a, a totalitarianism. I don't know what the hell like a, well, well, an overbearing like government. We'll yeah, say, yeah, or, or with reference to foreign yeah, powers. which
1: or, you know, and that was I mean, it was written when we right. still had the Brits to deal with, and all You know, and without without that
0: fact, I mean, Red Dawn would never happen. We had great movies, you know. Who doesn't love know. the Sways? But um, anymore, it's mean they could literally just put a laser on your ass and shoot a rocket right up that you know there's no there's no winning against your government anymore i mean i guess maybe strength in numbers but even then you know yeah. so yeah. i'm not i'm not saying we shouldn't have the right to bear arms but you're right there should be if if not limitations on the firearms themselves and there should be limitations on the mental capacity of people who are able to purchase them well,
1: that's what, you
0: know, and it's the same thing as i was explaining and they tr- it's not that they don't try like I, I like i was telling rocio earlier it's it's almost preference based when you sell you get to make that decision but you're you're basing it off your own you know intuitiveness and how many people actually can look at somebody and be like nah, he's not fucked up you never know you know what I mean in all the cases that we cover they're like he seemed like such a normal guy. Well, you know what I mean. Are
1: better judges of character than others, right? I mean, and know so this to be true.
0: <laughs> you know, but they do their best to avoid straw purchases. If somebody comes up smelling like something illegal or even legal through a medical state, you, you still shouldn't be able to carry with that. You know, Agreed. they they do their best, but then there are still the the private cells You know, there there's a multitude of different ways that people can get firearms. There really is. I mean, Backpage recently got shut down, not. Simply because of the firearms being sold, a lot of it because of the you know prostitution. prostitution. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Backpage was a big portion of people selling firearms. I mean, hell, even even some of the gun owners, like uh, gun gun shop owners that I know, would sell through Backpage. You know, but they would do it the right way. But it was still a really easy channel for them to do so. Well, even
1: with terrorist attacks and you know parts of Europe, you know, right and stuff like that. I mean. They're still getting weapons out there. Well, you not know, just I know that. It's a tougher process. But, but the, the remember, horrible stuff is still going down. I, I, the I believe countries. it was
0: so in. Uh, I believe it was in the United Kingdom. Uh, Christmas two years ago, I think it was 2016, possibly where uh, no firearms were used, but somebody drove a fucking semi through a crowd of people. Like, people will friends. find a way. Yeah. Yeah, people that's... will find a way regardless. Yeah. You know, Or like Sandy true. Hook. Sandy Hook, the the, the person that, that did the shooting, was mentally ill, mm-hmm. but his mom was a registered gun owner, and he went and he got the firearms from his mom's closet. So, I mean, it's... You know, it's that well, age-old singer where locked doors only keep the honest people honest.
1: No more locked doors! Yeah,
0: yeah. so... But anyway, so those are the two. Those are the two nationwide cases that we wanted to kind of bring in the light because we have a lot of. I don't want to say foreign. Foreign's kind of dickheadish. We have a lot of people who listen to us outside of the United States, and for some reason, international. yeah, inter. There we go. International, yeah. perfect. And you guys seem to really enjoy fucked up American shit. So. <laughs> We tried to give you a couple fucked up American things just to make sure we're, you know, holding true to uh to the profiling pain way.
1: It's like a reassurance of perception that oh those Americans are such <laughs> right. bastards. Yeah,
0: and it's you know, we're we're all dirty hairy in a sense. But today's oh God, episode Today's main story is uh, about the Alphabet Murders that happened in the early 1970s in uh, Rochester, New York. Now, the reason they were Sorry called the al- mom grew up, man. the reason they were called the Alphabet Murders is because each victim had the same initial for the first and last name, and also where they where their bodies were found, which I didn't write down because I'm a dumbass. Also had uh, the same initial, so it was like Bing, Bing, Bing. Okay, um, all under the age of 12. Um, and we're going we're gonna to get into that right now. So I try to give you guys a disclaimer every time. So here's your disclaimer. Here's your, we'll say, five seconds to, to do whatever. So go ahead and take your five seconds.
1: Yep. Turn away now or forever hold your peace or, you know, whatever the paraphrasing goes.
0: <laughs> All right. So on November 16, 1971, 10-year-old Carmen Cologne disappeared from Churchville, New York, a little town 50 miles west of Rochester. Now, outside of Jack's drugs is where she was last seen climbing into an unknown uh, an unknown suspect's uh, car in the early evening. Now, after leaving a prescription for her younger sister around 4.30, 5.30 p.m., uh, a girl matching Carmen's description was seen naked from the waist down uh, running alongside the freeway. Um, multiple multiple people saw this act okay now keep in mind i just said naked from the waist down okay um right off of the i-490 west okay now she was screaming she was waving her arms frantically as the car that she had recently you know recently been in was backing up to her till the person driving actually catches up to her and takes her away now no calls no calls to the police were made even though it was rush hour and hundreds of people had seen now not until three days later when her photo appeared in the paper is when the town actually started calling in and talking about it now the two papers in the town actually announced that her body had been discovered after her terrible rape and murder she would be the first victim in a series of murders that would become known as the alphabet murders two more double initial murders would happen now carmen cologne Born in Rochester, New York in 1961, to Justiano and Aguiliana, uh, she spent the first half of her life actually growing up in her parents' um, native home of uh, Puerto Rico. Now, I say native home, it's still part of America, mm-hmm. but it, it is almost like a different world from what I've seen. Now, her family returned to New York where she actually struggled to learn English and um, and she was placed in special education classes because in the 1970s they didn't have ESL, they didn't know how to, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't have any of the proper stuff in place to really assist kids at that time, you know. So it was just kind of like, all right, go color, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, now, it's like figure it out. Now, set them up for success. Right? right now, despite her scholastic struggles, her uh, her principal actually described her as an upbeat child and called her a sweet little angel. Like she she tried really hard. She she gave everything her all. She was a very sweet little girl. Now, shortly after returning to New York, her father actually abandoned her family, and her uncle Miguel, uncle stepdad, okay, moved in and became her mom's common-law husband. Now, we're going to talk about Miguel a lot later, but for right now, we're going to keep covering uh, Carmen. Now, she had five siblings, all right, and they went back and forth uh, from her paternal grandparents' house to her mom's house. Um... By the fall of 1971, Carmen actually lived with her grandparents full time where she had her own room, her own space, you know, it was kind of crowded uh, where she was at previously. Now, November 16th, 1971. Now, her mother came to her grandparents' home asking Carmen, asking the child, if she could go get medicine for her nine-month-old baby sister. Okay. Now, they lived in a very bad neighborhood. It was already sketchy from the get-go. So, normally, her grandparents, especially her grandfather, wouldn't let her go on her own. Her grandfather would go with her. Now, her grandfather was going to go with her on this date, but Carmen had begged her mom to let her go alone, trying to be the little independent girl that she was. Now, before her grandfather even realized she had left, she was gone. Now, she made it to the pharmacy two minutes up the road in a little strip mall, put in the prescription, and was told that it would take a half hour, and she told the pharmacist that she would be back. Now, a witness would later say that they saw a child matching Carmen's description climbing into a vehicle around dinner time. But mentioned no signs of any type of struggle, nothing. So it leads investigators to believe that possibly she either knew the perp or there's another theory floating around where somebody who had some form of authority, you know, perhaps, you know, as we discussed in the last series of episodes that we did, oh, yeah, they would they dress were, up as police officers. police officers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So by 5 p.m., that might make a little more sense, honestly. It's right. Horrible so by 5 p.m. Carmen hadn't returned to either home and they finally started to worry now Miguel goes out to look for her now a few minutes later is when the freeway incident happened now it's important to note that the freeway incident happened after Miguel went looking for her now by 7 p.m. family called the police family and friends start scouring the neighborhood looking for any signs of little Carmen um police 40 officers in total conducted a door-to-door search in their entire neighborhood going door-to-door looking for this little girl now keep in mind this is 7 p.m. she'd only been gone for an hour and a half at this Mm -hmm. point two and a half hours Um, multiple witnesses give descriptions of the vehicle seen on the freeway which matches Miguel's brand new car that he had just recently bought he becomes the prime suspect now two days later November 18th 15 year old Mark Allen and 13 year old James Gillen are out riding their bikes in uh in Rica, a little town just outside of Churchville. Now they spot what looked like a broken plastic doll lying against a boulder in a ditch next to, uh, like a like a turnabout, you know, uh, right off a turn uh, stern road. Now, when they get closer, they realize it's the body of an actual child. Now wearing only a sweater, blue socks, and white sneakers, fitting the description of the girl seen on the I nine I four I four ninety West. Okay, little Carmen. Um, 4.30 p.m., exactly 48 hours after she had left her grandparents' house. uh, Papers for days ran headlines describing how no one on the freeway had stopped to help. No calls to the police, no nothing. Now, social psychologists actually call this... um, the this, the bystander effect. Now, what the bystander effect is? Because I like to get these little tidbits about I was psychology. Say,
1: it's like Dairy Main, where the kids are being abused. It's like yes. you know uh, the parable that Jesus told, where they see somebody suffering and they just look away, and you know. So
0: the bystander effect, which I'm you probably heard about when you were going through classes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. I'm just going to paraphrase it then. So essentially, the more people that are present during a crisis, the less likely someone is to help, assuming somebody else is going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. And then nothing happens. Now, 11 days later, uh, her, her pants are found on the side of the road, one mile from the freeway incident. Now, pushing the theory that she had already either been raped before running away or possibly came upon a rape and tried to stop it. Um, Monroe Medical Coroner keep in mind they found the body I just described that. Monroe Medical uh, Coroner who performed the autopsy determined that she had been raped and then strangled to death now bruising including fingernail marks uh, all over her body um, she had a fractured skull and then right around her neck showed sure signs of strangulation that's what they determined was the cause of death was strangulation
1: oh i am thoroughly appalled and unsettled
0: it gets worse
1: so (laughs) now keep in mind
0: okay so by the end of that april uh 1972 because we've we've gone almost you know a few months into the calendar year now police had questioned around a thousand people having hundreds of suspects including known sex offenders in the area but no arrests were made, and only a small group of investigators stayed on the case, but with no new clues or no new suspects or anything to really lead investigators in the right direction, they had to kind of put it on the back burner to, to go and check out other things happening in the area. But at this time, Miguel still was like number one on the list. And we're going to cover what happened to him later. So now we're getting into victim number two. Okay, Wanda uh, Volokowicz, spelled with a W because they were Polish. Um born Aug uh, so Wanda, right? So we got Wanda Vavakovich and then we have Carmen Cologne, CCWW. Okay. Uh born August 4th, 1961, to parents Joyce and Richard, um, in Rochester. Now in 1967, her father, Richard, actually dies of a heart attack at the age of only thirty. So already this little girl has, just has I mean tragedy in her life. Yeah. Now in nineteen sixty-eight, Joyce Wanda's uh Wanda's mother and her younger sister Rita move into an upstairs apartment in the top floor of a house. It's actually really common back East. When I was working back East, I was in the top floor of a house that they convert into apartments for extra income. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things that happen. You don't really, I mean, we don't have too many basements in Arizona. You don't really hear about that happening too much, but like back East, it's really common to have a store with an apartment on top or, uh, you know, or each floor of a house, you know, um, and it was in a bad neighborhood. I mean, they didn't have very much income. As a matter of fact, Joyce actually was living off of her husband's social security from when he passed away. So they it's had.
1: crazy because, as far as like crime rental goes, you don't think of Rochester specifically. I mean, right. You think of the city, obviously. But.
0: So Wanda was described as a red-haired, blue-eyed tomboy, always, uh, always looking out for her younger sister and all her little friends everywhere. They kind of described her as like a little mom. She she really liked to relish in the role of being. Not, not the authoritarian, but like the protector. She liked to take a, you know, people under her wing. She was um, very nourishing. Yeah. So the
1: big sister mentality, man.
0: Right. So like I said, the family was barely surviving off of husband's social security, which made matters worse because their mom was actually an extreme alcoholic that would take her daughters into dive bars constantly. So they were always surrounded by just sketchy people. Regardless, I'm not saying everybody that goes to dive bars are sketchy, because I love dive bars. <laughs> But in the, a hipster or punk in the rocker or whatever, in the, the 1970s, you point me in the direction of somebody who wasn't fucking sketchy. I'll wait. No? Okay. Um, <laughs>
1: when have most of our cases taken place, Chris? Yeah,
0: the <laughs> 1970s. We're going to stay in the 70s for a little bit. Uh, but um, the kids remained upbeat, especially Juana. She stayed upbeat the entire time. She always had a great personality. Everybody said so. Um, so no dad, constantly subjected to adult world that they shouldn't be a part of, and then a third daughter was born shortly after they moved to the upstairs apartment, Michelle. Um then peyton Junior rang Rainy Rain Rainy Rainy, yeah. Moved in and became Joyce's common law husband. There's a lot of common law marriage happening in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's
1: only in certain states if I'm not mistaken.
0: Right. So April second, nineteen seventy three, cold, rainy, it's just one of those days. Wanda's rushing home Uh, from school with the best report card she had ever gotten now keep in mind her mom wasn't the best so Wanda actually missed 57 days of school that year nowadays that's a social case exactly they will come and they will find you if your kids miss it what's the number of days now
2: it's 10 like 10 consecutive days of the child yeah if you don't
0: report an illness something's up yeah Yeah. and there was no report of illness no report of anything she just Mm -hmm. missed 57 days so well, I think the all
1: frazzled and just not making trick against the school no discipline no structuring and, right exactly so and yet still great report card and still like you know right uh, she was very proud is, of herself this is sad I know where it's
0: yeah. going it's so right so that evening the family uh, needed a few things from the store diapers bread milk pet food and by this time Wanda and her younger sister I, I should mention Rita so Wanda was 10 Rita was 9 um mm-hmm. Wanda and Rita were actually pretty accustomed to the idea that their mom would ask them to run to the store for things. They would go on little errands for their mom all the fucking time. They're so used to it. Um, So they send Wanda. And she takes the four-minute trip to the deli down the street, only a couple blocks away, just past her school, um, wearing a blue and white checkered dress.
1: Probably done it countless times. Right.
0: White socks, sneakers, and arrived at the deli and does just as her mom asks like the dutiful child that she is picks up two quarts of milk a pack of diapers bread cupcakes soup tuna fish dog food cat food now the bagger crams everything into one big paper bag so that the little girl can carry it home Mm -hmm. easily um and then she goes to the teller and the teller marks it down for 852 and in his little brown teller book you know for the family and uh then she walks out Two witnesses on top of everybody else in the store, actually see her leave and she starts heading home around 5:15, 5, 5:30 5, PM. Now Joyce, cause have been in the area for a while now knows exactly how long it's going to take her daughter to get there and how long it's going to take her to come back. So even for all the bad mannerisms that this mother had, she still knew how long she should take her child. She knew where her child was going. You know, right. it, it should be noted that she at least had a general idea. Um, mm-hmm. When Wanda had been gone for an over amount of time, uh, she actually sends Rita to find out what's taking her daughter so long. So she sends the younger sister to go find out what's going on with the older sister. Once again, terrific parenting. (laughs) Right. Now, Rita and her 12-year-old friend, luckily, uh, end up going to, to, to look for her. Now, 7.47 p.m., two and a half hours. No one can find Wanda. Rochester police are called and missing persons report is filed. Mom, Joyce heads to the deli to take or to talk to all the patrons there and all the people who work there. Uh, also, at 8.15 p.m., police and neighbors form a massive search, even checking near the railroad tracks. Now, while talking to police, Joyce actually tells the police that a close encounter with Wanda and a friend had happened two days prior, where a strange man by the railroad tracks a block from the house around 10 p.m., hiding behind bushes, jumps out, and chases the two little girls oh
2: my God.
0: now all they described was the shoes that had buckles on them that's all they could really see because they're too busy running now a known sex offender okay he was a known sex offender based off the description but the mom still mm-hmm. sent the daughter to the fucking store now april 3rd 1973 rita's 10th birthday okay this is the younger sister's 10th birthday which they should be celebrating But instead at 10 15 a.m just before police can arrive to inform joyce of the bad news she hears on the police scanner that a girl's body had been found and immediately immediately she knows it's her daughter the body was found in webster new york so wanda walkovich webster that's where the you know the alphabet color comes in now knows right away and 15 minutes earlier new york police trooper thomas zimmer on a routine patrol spots something white on the hillside it was wanda's bare legs She was laying face down in the same dress she had been wearing the night before. Um, Same medical examiner, Dr. John Edlin, determined that Wanda had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death with an object, uh, most likely a belt because of the smooth feature on the neck with the bruising. Now unlike Carmen, Wanda still had her clothes on. Uh, results from autopsy also showed that she had eaten custard two hours prior to the death now she left the house with no money she left the house and they wrote it down in a little book and that's why she came back Mm -hmm. so they don't know there's no way she could purchase the custard on her own so there's a chance that somebody had fed it to her Mm -hmm. obviously right um now looking for any clues as to whether or not the two cases were connected they're still working on it still trying to figure it out but they're there are definite similarities within the case, but they can't quite piece everything together.
1: Yet. And they were about a year apart also, right? Right.
0: right. And similar, similar scenarios, similar deaths, similar everything. Now, both running errands in the middle of the day, both walking alone, both had fathers gone. Now, I'm not saying that the fathers being gone has anything to do with it but it's just similarities in their lives similar you know very very similar lives now authorities spent first few days bringing in sex offenders any neighborhood creeps they can come across including an old man that actually tried giving juana and her friends 10 cents for kisses right there's this neighborhood is just filled with fucking creeps now a few were actually being questioned during carmen's case as well so they're bringing in similar people okay Mm -hmm. Now, an ex-con who had attacked a girl in the 1960s was even included. They were doing everything that they could. But all family and friends said that Wanda was too street smart to to be lured into a stranger's car. But like I said, she's a small girl. She could have been grabbed. Now, even going as far as to say she would fight back, leading investigators to think that maybe she knew the attacker. Same thing with Carmen. Maybe she knew right. the attacker. Now, four days after her body was found, loved ones saying goodbye and having a day of remembrance, papers... And silent witness phone services started offering rewards up to six thousand dollars for the assistance in the apprehension of the attacker. Now by April eleventh, rewards up to nine thousand dollars were being offered, even auto dealers in town pitching in five grand a piece in reward money. Yeah, Billboards then, dude, so Right. Which they estimate the ten grand that he eventually gets up to in that time frame today is worth fifty grand. Yeah, they were offering out say. big money for anything. Mm-hmm. Um now billboards got put up during hers and carmen's case trying to you know find anybody with any information they were doing everything that they could for the type of outlets that they had at the time um police received word that uh two ten-year-old girls had actually um, been approached two days before wanda's disappearance so now they're investigating that so what they came across was a man about 30 years old wearing a long black coat uh, trying to get them into a 1971 ford ltd now black on top white on bottom uh, he had a big black beard and a mole on his forehead. Now, the incident took place just west of where Juana had been found. Unfortunately, police were unable to actually locate such a person. Now, one month later, what the papers dubbed one of the most exhausting investigations in Monroe history, Monroe County, uh, they didn't have enough leads to follow up. Um, they didn't have enough people to investigate. They, did, they got nothing out of it, no, no evidence, No change in, no change in anything. So nine months later, a third double initial area child goes missing. So once again, other cases pop up, and they have to put this one on the back burner.
1: I mean, you would think that by the third one, that's when you are pretty positive you have, like, a, a serial killer in play. I mean, two, it's still, you don't know for sure, maybe, but I'd say by the time you get three man, that's just... Yeah.
0: Now... This is going to be the third and and, and final thing. Now, what comes after this? is it. I'm going to discuss the uh, amount of suspects, like hard suspects, not just your normal everyday creeps, but actual it's hard suspects. Back to
1: the right. Whatever father the first Right.
0: So now, know? 11-year-old Michelle Mianza, again on a late afternoon, errand for her mother when she was abducted. So
1: with the double
0: initials, now it's she. Geez. Michelle wasn't necessarily on an errand i kind of wrote that down um she actually i'll get into it but she was leaving school and then she made a pit stop for her mom unbeknownst for her mom and we're gonna get into that right now so now on november 28th 1962 michelle Mianza was born to parents christopher and caroline in rochester now with an older brother two older brothers actually stephen and angelo um her parents separated around the time she was 10 and the boys went to live with their father and she would remain with her mother. Now at this point, now she has two younger sisters, eight year old Mary and the baby Christine. Now she always acted a little bit younger than her age and she got a lot of ridicule and she was picked on a lot in school. She dealt with bullies on a daily basis because of how she acted. And she actually would befriend younger kids because she just felt more accepted and the, the younger kids liked having an older girl and she would take the younger kids under her wing. So not quite mature enough to hang out with kids her age per their view um but just like old enough and wise enough to have kids younger kids adore her mm-hmm. um now Caroline okay the mother was actually a very good protective mother anywhere she went she kept all three girls by her side doesn't matter the grocery store the doctors her her three girls were always by her she was very protective because she knew the area that they lived in November 26 1973 Caroline goes to the school, as she did every day, always there to pick up her daughters. Now, um, the younger daughter, Mary, and a friend meet her to walk home. as She has the baby. She has the baby with her. And she's told that Michelle actually has to stay after school for detention. Now, Caroline walks back home with baby Christine and Mary, thinking that Michelle would get home fine this one time. This one oh, no. time. But unfortunately, she was wrong i noticing a
1: pattern here of just uh, over trustful kind of. Right. Uh,
0: so later, they eventually realized that Michelle was kept after school uh, for detention because of something that a bully had done. And then because Michelle was a part of it, they both get detention. So essentially, trumped up charges. Um, if the bully had never picked on her, this never would have happened. I'm not saying that that's a demon, you know, to vilify bullying, because I think everybody needs to be bullied a little bit. Right. But. I mean, this time, bullying really did ruin somebody's existence.
1: It's that fun line of standing up for yourself versus, Uh you know, just... And
0: that's what happened. She finally had enough snaps, and then they both go to detention. Now, she gets out of detention and heads home alone around 3.05, 3.15 p.m. Now, normally walking past uh, a gas station just 100 feet from her door, she never makes it past the gas station. Instead... She stops at a supermarket called Super Savers, Super Savers, rather, uh, right down the street. Um, her mom had lost her purse at the store, and and Michelle, being who she was, a sweet little girl, decided she's like, you know, you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to find my mom's purse, and then I'll go home. So she, she went somewhere else to go and just to track down a purse for her mother. Oh. 5 p.m. 5 p.m. hits, and Caroline is now extremely worried. She's losing her damn mind. She goes to her neighbors to have her watch the kids so she can go look for for. Um, for little Michelle and the neighbor describes her as so worried to the point where she's shaking she's starting she can't talk she's crying she's freaking the fuck out 5:40 p.m. she calls the police uh, to report Michelle missing now she assures police that there's no chance of her running away and that she knew not to get in the cars uh, at this point um, the school districts were actually running um, like stranger danger videos. This is when they really came into play and stuff like that, yeah. especially with the other two events that had happened in that general area. Mm-hmm. So they're really pushing stranger danger. So every child knew not to talk to strangers, not to get, you know what I mean? So she's, she's telling the police that she wouldn't get into a car with a stranger. To, you know what I mean? And she's, she's pleading her case any way that she can. The poor mom, she's just, you know, um, unfortunately local agencies knew what was potentially happening and they go on high alert immediately. Uh, her description gets broadcasted hourly over every news radio station that they can. Dozens of patrol cars roaming the, roaming the area, and again, a mass neighborhood sweep, even including the entire northeast part of the city at this point. Um, another door-to-door search, 50 police deep this time. Uh, police canvass parks, parking lots anywhere and everywhere that they can canvas. Now the next morning, there's no leads family and authorities already preparing for the worst and caroline has just complete mental breakdown ends up hospitalized and sedated because she collapses like the mother's worried to the point where her body gives up on her mm-hmm. now 9 15 a.m november 28th two days after the last known sighting and day after michelle's birthday she's going to turn 11 the next day so it's the day it's the day after her birthday two days missing her badly bruised fully clothed body was found in a ditch 17 miles east of where she had last been seen. Um,
1: 17 miles?
0: Yeah. So, Eugene Vanderwald, fire chief of Walworth Fire Department, told police he was driving to pick up uh, a fellow volunteer from the fire department because they were going to go look at a new fire truck. He spots the little Michelle's body, just, he described it as just crumpled, a crumpled body, uh, 70 yards from the major intersection.
1: This sort of daytime abduction just astounds me that nobody could have seen something and it doesn't just, just how happen. brash, right? Well the brashness and also just the fact that there was probably some sort of posing as law enforcement there had to be yeah. importance, you know, whatever. And then yet I mean perhaps after school, three something in the afternoon, man,
0: Yep. So she had been redressed. Now the coat that she was wearing was actually found in a ditch about a half mile away. Again, I didn't mention this, but with Carmen, um, pants were found down the street, you know, about a mile away. Her jacket was found in another location. Yeah. You know, police speculating, and it really has no importance, but police speculating that perhaps it was left in the vehicle and then, you know, the suspect was like, oh shit, throw it out wherever, you know what I mean? No or no evidence soon. Right. Um, and her dress buttons had been fast fast rebuttoned, like she had been undressed and then redressed and then left. Um, with all the same similarities in locations, ages, and cause of deaths, police now feel that they can tell the papers and the public that they think it's the same person responsible for all three crimes. Um, again, sexual assault, beaten, strangled, marks across face and arm, and uh, and I mean, possible belt marks again around the neck for strangulation. Um, so. Same corner, does the autopsy, and shows Michelle had eaten a cheeseburger within the last hour and a half before death. Now, it's important to note that somebody had actually seen her in a vehicle leaving a burger shop, and, like, so she seemed... So somebody there was a couple of sightings, but right. it's not until after the girl's death that somebody's like, oh, God, I saw her here. Um, uh, yeah, so actually helping to kind of... Give a little bit of a suspect to come to light. One of Michelle's friends said while on her way to another friend's house uh, mon- that Monday afternoon, she saw Michelle walking. And then when she was leaving her friend's house, she saw Michelle again riding in a beige car. Um, she noticed, though, that the car, she noticed the car simply because it had almost gotten to an accident trying to leave that street. Like it was in a hurry to get out of that well, area.
1: I just to get the hell to right. The dirty deed
0: was go down. Right. Um, the little girl did tell her mom as soon as she got home what she had saw and Michelle being in the car, but this was prior to any missing or personal support. this was prior to anything in the news, so they thought nothing of it. It was just one of those things where it's like, well, you know, okay, well, you saw your friend in the car, you know, and there was almost an accident. That sucks. Um, now, January 1974, uh, no leads, no clues, dwindling suspect list. The case, once again, is just dying down. And... Now, we get into our suspects, our suspect list. Now, 25-year-old Dennis Termini, local firefighter who had a similar car as the one seen with the same dent and everything, uh, becomes suspect, but only after committing suicide months later. Now, New Year's Day, 1974, five weeks after Michelle's murder, um, he sat in someone else's car and shot himself in the head with a 45 caliber automatic pistol. Now, the reason for killing himself made him suspect number one for a while. Now, Dennis had tried to abduct a teenage girl at um, at gunpoint after she was leaving a hotel room. Now, he let her go because she wouldn't stop screaming, and he feared that she would draw too much attention,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so he was just like, nope, fucking dropped her left. Now, he flees on foot, then he attempts to find another girl. So he finds an 18-year-old girl Walking alone grabs her forces her at gunpoint into a garage and demands her to strip down But by the time she gets to her underwear police arrive Thanks to a neighbor who called uh, called the police after seeing the abduction. So finally a fucking neighbor steps in and does something now He again flees on foot Finds a parked car climbs in locks the door now sergeant Ernest Morph and patrolman Lindsey Johnson track him to the car over fence posts. I mean they, they follow him all the way to the car Finally get there, and as soon as they got to the car and started waiting for backup, he pulls the trigger. Poof. He's done.
1: Dang, in the midst of all of that.
0: <laughs> now, they soon determined that he had actually been active in the area for a long time. He was known locally as the garage rapist. Now, the police... <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Right. The Rochester police had been looking for him for years. He had 14 victims raped in garages that they know of. This is just people that would report it. People have problems reporting rapes now. Um, Between 19, right? Between 1971 and 1973, the same time frame as Alphabet murders. Now he had victims in all the same areas that the girls had been found in. Okay, all of them. Now he had been abducted in people. I mean, he even had one case where he abducted a female. But here's the thing. He had two things <clears throat> I wouldn't say in his favor, but he had two differences in the case. None of say he's
1: not locked up. There's going to be something. Mm-hmm. None
0: of his 14 victims. None of his 14 victims were murdered. None of them, and all of them, all of them were older, like in their high teens or 18, 20s. He never he never went as far as 10, 11 years old. Now they actually tried to do his DNA in 2007. They exhumed his body. They 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 dug it up. And, like we're gonna get his fucking DNA. Holy
1: here's in the 2007? kicker. 2007? In 2007.
0: Wow. Here's the kicker though. Oh okay. The kicker is is that Wanda's rape kit, rape kit or just you know DNA mm-hmm. sample remains, but Carmen's and Michelle's either deteriorated or they were lost over the years. So the only DNA sample we have to go off of at this point is Wanda's, and his did not did not match. that's suspect number one keep in mind I said uh, fireman and he kept a fireman coat in his car at all times with him so it's it's a definite possibility that he would approach them as an authority figure someone you could trust okay suspect number two Miguel Colon Mm -hmm. uncle stepdad here we go now a few days after Carmen's disappearance he flees the country back to Puerto Rico already fucking red flag Okay, now an acquaintance of his actually told investigators that he showed up to uh, his apartment shortly after what happened with Carmen, saying he needs to get the hell out of the country quick. Right. Well, that was after the billboards got posted and everything else like that. Um. Now, March twenty eighth, nineteen seventy two, Miguel gets brought in for questioning. Now. When he fled to Puerto Rico, he spent six days hiding out in the jungle, hiding out. You know, finally, investigators decided they were going to try and trick his ass. So, what they did was they kind of put through the grapevine that they're bringing his mom in for questioning, and his mom was going to remain detained, which is illegal. So, it was all bullshit. Yeah. But they were going to keep his mom in custody until he showed the fuck back we're just up. Just
1: hoping his gullibility would. Now, out.
0: after six hours of interrogation and a lie detector test. He passed, they didn't have enough evidence to go off of, and they let him go. Now in 19, where are we at? 1991, February 17, 1991, he shoots himself after assaulting Carmen's mom during a domestic dispute, Carmen's mom and Carmen's brother. Assaulted them both during domestic dispute and he tried like a motherfucker to get murder, you know, murder-suicide by police and they wouldn't do it, so he just ended up shooting himself. So unfortunately, unfortunately, it took till 2007 to get Homeboy's DNA to find mm-hmm. out. They were never able really to get Miguel's. So, and
1: twenty years later, uh, yeah,
0: to go down right. Road. And mm-hmm. also, even investigators to this day say that they think he was responsible for Carmen's disappearance. They think that he was molesting her the whole fucking time. That's why she was so apt to try and move him with her grandparents. One, mm-hmm. and two, they said that. The whole cologne family is super fucking hush-hush whenever hush, they really try to question him, even to this day like so then
1: for, for victims two and three he was back there in the state of new york yeah he was yeah he of, was like, in rochester puerto rico or whatever. correct
0: so suspect number three told you there's a list uh james barber and i mean it's a fucking long list um one of these suspects is actually going to be a later podcast so i mm-hmm. didn't go too much into detail on him i gave you a quick outline and then we're going to get into that on a later podcast, because we're talking about 40 years worth of material we got on this guy. But James Barber, suspect number three. Barber, okay, already been arrested for molesting a young girl in the past, and also at the time of Carmen's uh, murder, was wanted for assaulting and sodomizing a 15-year-old girl in Ohio. He was in Carmen's neighborhood at the time of the murder. Okay, his time card, the day of Carmen's disappearance, was filled out by pencil as opposed to being punched, like normal. Is
1: he a buddy of Miguel's or something? Or nope, it doesn't there? say
0: anything about any type of correlation at all. He had friends in the area, and he was working in the area at the time of Carmen's disappearance. But the day of Carmen's disappearance, as opposed to using his punch card the way you're supposed to, mm-hmm. he, he penciled in his time, okay? Um, and also, he left I mean, his job without any notice after the body was found and then he left the entire area even leaving his belongings behind but not enough evidence to bring him in or extradite him from another state was ever found he just bounced and they couldn't find enough actual evidence to validate bringing him in and spending the money and the resources but he dipped right after right the fuck after so that's the extent of james barber and they never were able to question he never got questioned they just figured out after he dipped that he had dipped now number four Fuego, Kenneth (laughs) motherfucking Bianchi. No
1: kidding.
0: Hillside Strangler, Dynamic Duo Dickheads. You are goddamn right. Suspect number motherfucking four, Kenneth Bianchi. Now tell me... So
1: here's our crossover episode. Now tell me that the M.O. doesn't
0: match. Rape, Strangulation, and we know for a fact that two like out of they the, went
1: that young too
0: 12 and 15 were the two youngest that they had hit now we know cuz we've discussed this enough fucking times that murderers so
1: then you're assuming like, I'm throwing it the, the fuck, fuck out there and then he jumps to the other I'm side I'm
0: throwing it out there definitely a prime uh, suspect in my opinion now hear me out most murderers will dabble in the ways that they kill victims until they finally master doing it the way that they want to do it and where we know they find what gives them the I mean sick stranglers kids in the like, goddamn like, title and yeah. also he. And, and
1: all these victims and he
0: grew up in Rochester and lived in Rochester until his mom sent him out to live with Bono. If you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, go back to episodes 5, hours. 6, and 7, because we <laughs> cover that <laughs> shit. Yeah, we spent a lot of time on this motherfucker. This is, yeah.
2: I think we even hinted at it one, once, or, once or twice. Can you give, like, a brief, like, So, Kenneth Bianchi,
0: okay, so Kenneth Bianchi uh, was born to, like, an alcoholic prostitute at the age of, like, what was she? 15, 16, 17, immediately put up for adoption. The first three months of his life, six months, three months, six or three months of his life left in a bassinet in the corner. He never really felt human touch except for the necessities. Mm -hmm. Suffered his major head injury at the age of seven. His mom would take him to and from doctor's offices, constantly having his little fucking wean touch because Mm -hmm. he had a, he had a peeing problem on top of the concussion. His mom was overly abusive. His stepfather or his adoptive father, he's finally getting close to passes away when he's 11 years old. No real male fucking anything. His mom is completely overbearing. He starts faking illnesses. I mean, a mental case from jump. At one point, he even takes somebody else's psychology degree and tries to start his own practice. He's that fucking crazy. And he's obsessed, obsessed with becoming a police officer, but he never makes a cut, ends up only being a security officer. Him and also his cousin...
1: who was an imposter as far as posing. Right. As now, as him, as him as and as his as cousin...
0: I uh, almost said Sonny Bono, sorry. But him and his, con- him and his cousin Bono... Uh, <laughs> skis. him and his cousin Bono, Angela Bono, actually would become the Hillside Stranglers in Glendale, California, where they would rape over ten women and strangle ten women on the hillsides of and leave them on the hillsides of, of Glendale, California. Mm-hmm. But he grew up in Rochester, New York. And also, you uh, both before.
1: That he was like the real sick. One he was a sadist, the sadist, for sure. Speaking, because Holy. he was also the one who went and moved up to the northwest, and right?
0: he ended up killing two more women that they know of in Washington when he went solo on his own now Bono definitely was the sexual sadist but Bianchi committed every final murder and then to go from a psychological standpoint he was the one that really pushed forward the narrative of multiple personality disorders in the courtroom he had what okay. was it three or four different psychologists all trying to make a name for themselves come in and interview him mm-hmm. he created three alternate personalities for himself while on while standing trial and the entire time all the major detectives were like bullshit But the psychologists were like, oh, I could write a paper about this shit. And we're just diving into it and feeding into it. And he was running with it.
1: Trying to to get off on insanity and yet very obviously calculatedly making it seem like that was the
0: case. But like I was stating earlier, most murderers will try it on easier victims like slim, you know, like easy, like get get the weak and the sickly off and try out your murders here and see how you like to do it. Mm -hmm. And he had that shit fucking mastered by the time he made it to California. So I'm not saying he is the main guy, but I think that motherfucker is a... Yeah, for That's sure. pretty high likelihood. And that it son of a bitch really is still smart. alive right now in oh, a Washington no prison. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they can go get his fucking DNA and try to match it to Wanda's. I don't know if they have or not because the article I was reading didn't say anything about it, uh-huh. but that motherfucker still lives. But yeah, Kenneth motherfucking Bianchi.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That is insane. Full
0: motherfucking circle. That's how we're ending is, the season. This
1: is too coincidental, though. But I'm not done.
2: Oh, but wait.
0: Suspect <laughs> number five, okay? Joseph Nassau, okay? He, also born in Rochester, New York, spent a lot of time there, also ended up getting captured in California, okay? This motherfucker, let's, let's dive into it. He wasn't arrested until April of 2010, now, authorities search his home in which they find a diary consisting of 10 unnamed women in geographical locations. Okay? Now, on April eleventh, 2011, he was charged with the murders of four women, all with double initials, and even one of them having the same name, Carmen Cologne. Okay? Now, same first and last name. Now, the other six women... Uh, they weren't really ever identified, but the four that were identified all had double initials. And this is in California years later, okay? Now on November 22nd, 2013, he was sentenced to death um, by Marin County, California judge. He, excuse me, became a person of interest for the 1971 through 1973 Alphabet murders because of the way he would assault and strangle his victims, same M.O. However, DNA would later prove that he wasn't the killer. Now, like I said before, we only have Wanda's. We only have Wanda's. So we don't know whether or not, you know, that's the same same thing. But like I said before, he was raised and lived in Rochester during the time of the murders. And that's it. He's going to be a future topic because there's a lot behind him. He's, I mean... Damn it, and he's still alive right now. California doesn't push forward the death penalty at uh, the death penalty at the moment because they deemed the um, the shot. Uh, what's it, What the hell is it called?
1: Lethal injection. Boom! There you
0: go. Yeah. Um, that's cruel and unusual. So they don't do that anymore. So they're trying to find a better way. So How right now, cruel
1: and unusual when it, it, it I know. Right.
0: Well, there was a case a while back where somebody actually struggled for two hours before they finally died, which okay. fucking good. Uh, but only if you got the right guy. If it was, you know, an innocent person, then that sucks. I'm sorry. Um, but that's it. That's that's where this episode leaves. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Unsolved. Case
2: is never solved. That is pretty heavy. <laughs> it
1: does make me wonder, though, if, uh, if Homeboy would work in conjunction, you know, once he got out to California with, you know, the whole. Side strangling, I think, is there a possibility you could have worked in conjunction with somebody that I mean? In you know,
0: you never know. I mean, fucking, especially in California I mean, in the 1970s, the, it was a sleaze ball circus. You just
1: mentioned, you know, maybe they worked together in some strange regard.
0: I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, but the amount of sex offenders, I didn't write down the total amount of sex offenders, but it was in the hundreds in Rochester. Hundreds of people that they interviewed that were all sex offenders, all priors, all having priors. I mean, it was as bad of a time as we think it is now. It was fucking scary in the 1970s. I mean, every case that we've covered besides George Montesqui has been 19, Richard Chase, 1970s. Yeah. Hillside Strangers, 1970s. And I wanted to talk about Richard Ramirez, which we're going to get on soon because one of the detectives in the Richard Ch- Chase case also covered Richard Ramirez. So that's two dicks for the price of one. Get it? Detectives and plus Richards. You know how you get dick out of Richard? You ask nicely. So anyway. Um, <laughs> 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 um, but that's, that's it. That is the end of season one. We're going to pick up on season two with uh, with Ted Bundy we're gonna we're gonna kind of nurse that teat that everybody's feeding on right now yeah, We're, we're if nothing else care. we are opportunists so that's what yes, we'll do we well, um, give the people what they want right more talks of merch eventually more uh, just everything that we can give you really um, thank you again for all the likes all the downloads that shit pushes it if you guys happen to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, five stars and I'll fucking tickle your nips, whatever you need. Um, go to the Facebook. It's Profiling Pain Podcast on Facebook. Like that shit. Talk about it. I'll be posting more on there. Um, that's kind of what I got. Um, I always leave my Instagram. I always leave all the all the little stuff to go to in the uh, in the show notes on all of our stuff, so you can see that when you go to download it. Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're even on. Uh, spotify now i think we might be making our way to pandora podcast soon um we're on podbean i mean you name it if you listen to it if you can download it if it's got an app we are on that shit right now um and i would i would say honestly we get the most people on stitcher stitcher is actually the one that i use even though i have an iphone i'm just comfortable with stitcher i do listen to some podcasts on apple podcasts that you can't get on stitcher but yeah, go leave a like, leave a comment, tell us if we missed something, tell us if there's a specific part that grossed you the fuck out because I'm interested in hearing what you guys can and cannot take. Um, yeah. this was a pretty bad case, but I still think Richard Chase was our worst yeah, so far. That. Um, season one goes, yeah, yeah, and then uh, you know, it's just uh, bigger and crazier things from here on out. I think season two is going to be vile. Um, but at the beginning of season one, we gave you George Monteski who's a little bit more of a comedic relief. And I think I'm going to look for at least one palate cleanser for season two to give you guys to kind of maybe step away from murder and give you a little bit more of some funny crimes, change the dynamic of the show for an episode at least. And then, uh, and then Ooh. right back to the profiler thing. Uh, I know it's called profiling pain, and there was no profiler in this episode. I mean, I'm sure there's a multitude of profilers, but yeah, nobody I mean, came. not
1: do their jobs very well. Nobody came up with right shit
0: out. because they didn't get James Brussel on that. And I'm an avid worshiper of James Brussel. I bet if he was on that shit, it'd been found the fucking first time. Mm. He probably would have knew before they did it. But uh, so listen to episode two if you want more on James Brussel. The audio quality for episode two sucks ass, but pretend, pretend you're in a bar and you'll enjoy it. Oh, I do remember that episode? Um, <laughs> Rocio, thank you very much for joining us. Thank I you hope, guys for having me. I oh, hope it didn't yeah. scare you away. <laughs> Hopefully you're on future episodes.
2: That would be awesome. Thank okay. you for having me. And then, me. Uh, Fuego,
0: is there anything that you would like to add? Anything coming up for you? Uh,
1: well, we are in the spectacular month of October, so obviously lots of stuff going down on the horror show. There is a big announcement for a... Well, I, I still... I don't know when, when this is going to air, if we will have launched our Kickstarter crowdfunding thing yet or not, but... Uh, we are. I guess I can say vaguely enough that we are making another short film, and this is going to be the biggest and Woo-hoo. most uh, most. Uh, I, I guess eyebrow racing is probably the best way that I can describe everything nice. that we've done. And uh, also, there are some uh, some kind shows this month. There's one at uh, Phoenix FearCon. On the 18th of october and then there was another on the 27th of october at shows grado so sweet. double down in uh the scarific month of october lots of fun and then also uh, you can check me out on all social media sectors jaime in fuego j-a-i-m-e in fuego Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitters, all that stuff, and YouTube on Enjoygotainment.
0: And if you didn't get enough scary information out of this episode, you can go to his "Hell to Stephen King page that he has on Facebook. You don't push that enough.
1: Yeah, if you like your uh, crazy killers of the figurative variety, (laughs) albeit some of them being based on real life events and weird stories and stuff like that, yes, "Hell to Stephen King on Facebook. That is where we discuss all things King every day, and there's like 700 people on there now. There you go.
0: It's booming. Roast, you anything you want to throw in there?
2: Um, no, just thank you guys for having me. Hopefully, I can join in, um, you know, in the future. And I'm, I'm a fan, so I listen right to you guys here. all the time.
0: There you go.
1: We're fans of the insights you brought.
0: And then, uh, and then I've got uh, lots of children to raise. That's what I'm doing right now. No, uh, just, just working normal stuff. But you can find me on Instagram at OmegaTwiz5150. Yeah. Definitely start joining the uh, Profiling Pain podcast page on Facebook. We'll be doing more there. And then, um more to come. Like I said, merch and whatever else. So just drop us a line. Go to uh, centartainment at gmail.com. Let us know what you guys thought of the episode. And just all around badassery that we present you. And as usual, thank you very much. I've uh, I've been Chris Payne.
1: And gracias uh, for allowing me to be a part of this process with you, man, in this last year. it's It's mm-hmm. been a pleasure and an honor. So thank you, sir. Gracias. Uh, I, I've been for you.
2: And this was Rocio Onyak.
0: And uh, as usual, uh, stay metal, mofos. Thank mm-hmm. you. What's up?